this is Mignon Fogarty from the Grammar Girl podcast. I'm speaking English right now, and this is The Fluent Show. Welcome to The Fluent Show, our podcast all about loving, living, learning languages and reaching your potential too. My name is Kirsten Cable, I'm from fluentlanguage.co.uk and here on the show we talk about languages, communication, curiosity and enriching our lives through the challenge of learning something new. And listeners, I have so been looking forward to bringing you this week's episode because it's an interview with, oh, what can I say, an idol, a pioneer, someone who inspires me and really showed me how podcasting can be used in languages. This is somebody who you might have heard of. You might have read one of her best-selling books. You might have listened to her podcast. You might have seen her on Oprah. What? Yes, that's right. It is no one other than Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. And she hosts a podcast and has been doing for, I think, 14 years <laughs> called Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing. And she's also the founder of the Quick and Dirty Tips Network, where you can find lots and lots of quick and dirty tip podcasts to make your life easier. So that is today's interview. I've got Mignon Fogarty and we've spoken about so many interesting things. Before we get cracking, let's give a shout out to none other than Clothesmaster, the sponsor of The Fluent Show. Learning with the Clothesmaster app is fun, free and fantastic for expanding your vocab in so many different languages. The game is simple and is gamified like most language learning apps that really do a good job. The game is simple. You see a sentence in your target language with something missing and then it's your challenge to fill in the blanks correctly. And what Clothesmaster gives you is more than just a streak that keeps you coming back. It is an exercise that trains you to understand context, use vocabulary, train listening skills and expand your vocab which is really brilliant if you're intermediate or you're advanced and you kind of want to develop and get off the plateau and go even further. So that's Clothesmaster and you can see my little demo of it at Clothesmaster, C-L-O-Z-E-M-A-S-T-E-R.com slash Fluent Show or in my own dialect, C-L-O-Z-E-M-A-S-T-E-R.com slash Fluent Show. And when you go there, you will also get 10%, you can get 10% lifetime off of their pro membership. It's entirely free, but the pro membership, if you choose to adopt it, purchase it ever, it will unlock more features for you and it'll help support this independent language learning app. So don't hesitate, head over to Clothesmaster and have a little look-see what they've got on offer. Now, Mignon, I've already sort of hinted at streaks and that is one of the topics that I discussed with Mignon in the podcast today. And we also talked about why she is grammar girl and not grammar woman, very interesting. And furthermore, how grammar 
is seen and how important or not important it is to get your grammar correct and in which situations you might want to think about it and in which situations you can throw most of the rules out the window. So this is a great conversation for anyone who is learning the English language, but also a great conversation for all of us as language learners, because it gives a really good insight into where our own language is at. And I believe that understanding your own language is the first step to understanding all the other languages that we are learning. And beyond that, Mignon is also a truly inspiring entrepreneur who has a lot to say and who just brings such a positivity and joy of what she's doing. So I'm just waffling now. I'm just telling you lots of great things about her. Why don't we meet her? Head over into the interview over to Mignon Fogarty for this week's episode of The Fluent Show. Bonjour Mignon. Hello Mignon. Hello Kirsten. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh, I'm just over the moon. Thank you so much for taking the time and being here and doing this little exchange. So just we'll plug it. We'll plug it at the start. I'm going to be on the Grammar Girl show. We're doing a bit of an exchange kind of situation here. And I've got so many questions for you, Mignon. I think I'm just going to jump right in. Uh, So you, I know you, do you know how I know you first through my husband? Because he told me that he listens to the Grammar Girl podcast and this was before I started my show, which I did like eight years ago. So how long have you been a language podcaster? Oh, my gosh. That's wonderful. I love to hear when um, people discover it through word of mouth, a friend telling a friend, the, the family member. That's the best way. So we this summer, I just celebrated the 15th anniversary of the Grammar Girl podcast. I, I never thought I'd be doing that this long, but I'm grateful that I've been able to. Wow. <laughs> yeah, 15 years of podcasting. It's it must it must be a completely different environment now. It's different, but in, I don't think it's dramatically different. Um, you know, my show is longer and a little bit more professional and I have a better microphone, but I'm essentially doing the same thing I did back then, which is giving people advice, helping them learn to write better and telling them interesting stories about words and language. So, I mean, there's a lot more competition, you know, I'm we're now we're competing with Conan O'Brien and, you know, people like that. But but at the base, I think it's still the same and anyone can still start a podcast. And I I love that about the medium. Mm, and you never have to explain to anyone what, what it is that you're doing. Well, still sometimes, but not as often, <laughs> not nearly as often as I used to. I confess that in the past, occasionally, I would just tell new people I was a writer because I just didn't want to get into the whole <laughs> explaining what a podcast is sometimes. And now now I don't fear telling people I'm a podcaster anymore, that it's not, I'm not going to get a blank stare and have to explain for 10 minutes what that means. Very, very true. Did you do, did you do language at university and sort of throughout your whole ex- education? Was that always your thing? Kind of. Yeah, I was an English major in my undergraduate. Mm -hmm. Um, I I always loved reading and writing. Um, I took a big diversion. I went to graduate school. Um, I was in a PhD program for biology doing genetic research on fruit flies. And, you know, I did that for mm, like six ish years. And then um, I decided that wasn't for me and went back to writing and became a science writer and a technology writer for a few years. Then before I became Grammar Girl. So it's through writing that you got more into being grammar girl. What is it about writing in particular that sort of brings out the, what is it, the language doubt, the language excitement? 
Oh, well, it, you know, it's the style guides. So, you know, I was, oh. I was writing for different clients and I was looking things up in the AP style guide and the Chicago Manual of Style because different clients use different style guides. And I just started getting really intrigued by all the different rules. And then I was making up little memory tricks to help myself remember because, you know, when I took my English degree, you know, I studied the symbolism of swords in Beowulf, not, you know, <laughs> the, the more nitpicky little rules that come with writing. So, um, you know, I was still having to look things up every day. And then, you know, because I love technology so much, I heard about this new thing called podcasting. And, and I thought, well, maybe people would appreciate, you know, a little writing tip every week since I'm, you know, looking them up for myself and making up these stories. I'm able to share them with people and try out this thing called podcasting. And, and that's really how it got started. Yeah, that's sort of how I, I, st I got started the same way, sort of playfully, without really expecting to still be there like years later, just still doing the <laughs> thing. And now do you still always find new things that you're excited about? I do. You know, one of the things I love is that Almost every week, I still am learning something new about language, whether it's a word origin or some rule that's actually different from what my third grade teacher told me it was, you know, and <laughs> and uh, people write and call with questions that make me, you know, look up things I wouldn't have thought to to look into. And yeah, I love that I'm still almost always learning new things. Mm, can I ask you about your audience and the kind of listeners that you have? Because podcasting is global, but you must share an American perspective on writing and language. Right, I do. I try to include um, things about British English and Australian English when I know them, when I'm aware of them, but I don't always know. Um, but I do try to take a little, at least a little bit of a global perspective, but my Americanness does seep in and that is generally the focus. My mm -hmm. audience, is, I think it's about 60% in the US and then, you know, all the other big English speaking countries are next, but, you know, we have a big audience in the Philippines and Brazil and um, Japan, you know, is hundred like more than 200 countries we have listeners, which, you know, is pretty common for a podcast so, because people can listen from anywhere. So, yeah. And I, I hear from everything from CEOs, you know, who who make their staff listen and, you know, teachers who use it in class. But I've heard from, you know, people in China who are using it to learn English. Um, because we have full transcripts, so you can listen and follow along with the text. And a lot of people who are learning English really like that. So, so you know, there's that part of the audience, too. Oh, yeah. It's, it's So you, you kind of started, this is fascinating, isn't it? You start a thing as almost, well, first of all, for your own kind of enjoyment, but thinking about, well, maybe other people who are techie writers, other people who are science writers need this help. And it's grown into a real resource for the world. <laughs> now let me ask you okay so what are the misconceptions the biggest misconceptions that you run into that people have about grammar mm. you know i think that one of the things when when people are learning a second language you know they don't always get the grammar right and that that does not mean they're less intelligent. I guess one the biggest misconception is that when people don't use quote unquote proper grammar, that somehow they're not as smart as someone else. And I just hate that misconception. Um, it's not true at all. Um, I think it's really important to 
listen to the content of what people are saying or writing and not dismiss everything they're saying because they used a wrong word here or there. Um, it's just it. It, it's just not true. <laughs> and I guess the, another big misconception is that if people don't use quote unquote standard English, again, that they're lazy. And again, it's just not true. There are dialects of English mm-hmm. and uh, other languages. And, you know, if you are speaking a dialect you grew up with or uh, that it's your natural language. It doesn't mean you're less intelligent. And dialects follow their own rules and are just as valid as um, standard English. So, yeah, I think that those misconceptions that if you're not speaking perfect standard English, you're either lazy or not as smart um, are terrible and they bother me a lot. Yeah, I think it's what makes the concept of grammar, maybe this is a learner's thing. I think it intimidates so many people, like as if it's almost something that is so difficult to understand like it's it's almost like it's not part of the language you already speak as if it's this thing that is external that you now need to understand additionally when actually it's it underlies the thing you already know and that you're already doing well right and i guess i walk this fine line because you know the show is called grammar girl and people come to it mm-hmm. wanting answers and they come to it you know definitive answers this is the quote unquote, right way to do something. And, um, you know, my my goal is to help people write better and succeed in school and business. And a lot of that does mean learning standard English. So I talk about the rules and how to Mm -hmm. do things right. But I try very hard to do that without stigmatizing dialects and and language learners who aren't getting everything perfect. Um, So it's a fine line that I have to walk. And I, I hope that most of, that I'm successful most of the time. Mm-hmm. So you don't subscribe to one correct way of using English. And have you done any spotlights or sort of episodes on specific variants or dialects of the English language? Mm, I did one a few years ago on global English because I'm just fascinated mm. by the vocabulary words that, you know, people in India, for example, come up with um, for their version of English. You know, the um, co-brother is a word I remember that um, it's it's a family relationship that I can't remember exactly what it is. It's like the brother of your in-law or something like that. It's 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 a family relationship we don't have a word for in English, but once you hear it, you're like, oh, that's so useful. <laughs> a co-brother. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, I can't, it's not your brother-in-law. It's, it's something, but it's something like a brother-in-law, but with a different relative. I'm sorry, I can't remember the exact relationship. Mm. Can I ask you, as sort of the the authority of English in the American in, in America, or one of at least someone I've spoken to who's an authority on this, where do you see the role of um, the American? What is it? African American vernacular English? Because I feel like maybe that's just because I'm nerdy and on the internet, uh, or maybe it is a, a social movement. I feel like the attention paid, respect paid to it is growing. Yeah, I think that's true. And there's also a growing recognition that a lot of our slang that, you know, that 
that mm-hmm. that white Americans adopt, you know, five years after it was popular in the African-American community. Um, there's more acknowledgement that that's where our where, you know, uh, mainstream, I guess, um, slang often comes from. I'm thinking about like, I think the words of the year, the American Dialect Society um, has their words of the year. We just did that. And um, one of the slang words of the year was yassify, which means um, mm-hmm. to like apply lots of filters to a photo to make it super beautiful to the point where it almost becomes cartoonish maybe. So like you you yassify your photos on Instagram maybe a little too much or, or maybe it just looks gorgeous. But um, I think there's an acknowledgement that that sort of comes from um, African-American culture and maybe like, yes, girl, you know, so, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So, and, and there's much more acknowledgement of that. I think another one, if I remember right, is saying like, oh, I have the receipts. You know, if you, if someone, you're accusing someone of something and you have proof, um, to say, oh, I have the receipts on you. I think if I remember right, that also came from, um, African-American vernacular English. So just a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, um, slang and useful words. I mean, I wouldn't call, you know, have the receipts, even slang, um, you know, started in, in other dialects of English Mm. and it's fabulous. It really is. It's, it's an example. And I think you just get that little buzz of excitement when you, when you hear something like yassify, you're like, Oh yes. You know, you, Oh yes, it's it right. just, it captures something that you haven't had words for, but you've sort of observed, and it's it's so wonderful to be able to celebrate creative use, and I think it's creative use of language, and there is a lot of creativity coming from other communities of English users, and it's good to know that, or and it's important to know and to say, you know, I think this is real importance in someone like Grammar Girls, someone like the American Dialect Society taking and celebrating those words and acknowledging like this is originally coming from from here and this is a good thing you know this isn't bad use of language they're not people who can't use language properly they are people who are using language remarkably right and african-american vernacular english has its own grammatical structure it's not Mm. lazy english or wrong english it it follows rules just like standard English. And, and you know, a, a lot of if people who are who speak span, standard English, if they try to uh, mimic African-American vernacular English, they might they often get it wrong because they don't understand the rules of that language. So it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Does it currently exist without a written written variant or is it's not really written a lot? Hmm, probably not. Although in fiction, I think, you know, in dialect dialogue mm-hmm. in fiction, you'll you'll find it, but I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not aware of but I wouldn't be aware. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean yeah, I was just thinking like it's online, of course, you know, but we don't it's not it's not necessarily a space that we are privy to. Right. I mean I'm not aware of a, like a magazine that's published in in that dialect, but there oh, very well be could amazing. be. That'd be cool. <laughs> oh my gosh. If if you're out there and you do see and know about written variants of American African apologies African American vernacular English, please like let me know. I'm I'm just ever so curious. Okay, now I want to ask you. Um, I want to ask you about being grammar girl, right? Because mm-hmm. now we even talk about do we use the word girl to describe a grown woman? Because I believe you are in you're definitely older than me. So you're, you're <laughs> in your fifties. Is that right? <laughs> I'm not telling. Yeah, okay. And still, 
it's still, uh, you know, and still sort of in in, in this girl brand and this sort of grammar girl, but also like being the nerdy girl. Yet you are like, you're a female entrepreneur. You're like a podcasting pioneer. Do you take pride in being grammar girl? Yeah, no, it's such an interesting question because I have been criticized for calling myself girl, that somehow that's diminishing myself. Mm. I like the alliteration. You know, I didn't put a lot of thought into, you know, I was starting this as a hobby. I came up with the name. I loved the alliteration. And I also love that, you know, grammar is so intimidating and girl is unintimidating. And, you know, my avatar is a cartoon character. I try to make it really friendly and not scary. And so girl really falls into that. But, you know, I've certainly had people say you should be grammar woman. And when I was a professor, there was a, a fellow professor who re- refused to ref- a, a guy, an older man who ref- refused to refer to me as grammar girl and always called me grammar woman. And I thought <sighs> that was really annoying because like, call me what I choose to be called. You know, don't I, I think that's diminishing in a different way and insulting in a different way. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, and, and I do. I love being the nerdy girl, the word nerd. Um, it's 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 just it's just who I am. Yes. It's nice to have sort of nerd pride, you know, top top of the podcast charts. And it's yeah. podcasting oh, actually. Yeah, but you also asked about entrepreneurship. And I, I you know, I when I was when I was a professor, I was the chair of media entrepreneurship. And mm-hmm. I founded the Quick and Dirty Tips Podcast Network, which is one of the earliest independent podcasting networks. And you know, I still am a partner in that today and, and am involved at an advi- you know, essentially just an advisory level. But um, yeah, but it's very hard to have both personas online. So I don't talk a lot online about my my business role because I feel like it doesn't really fit with the grammar girl role. Like you think of grammar girl as the friendly word nerd. And, oh, interesting. And, and that really, in my mind, at least doesn't mix well with the businesswoman entrepreneur leader of leader of a business concept <laughs> i guess and so i've always struggled with balancing those two and there was a point when the network grew so big i really had to choose between you know being the business leader or being grammar girl and you know we came to the conclusion that there are a lot of people who could run the business but but it would be hard to replace me as grammar girl, like, like I'm, I am grammar girl, <laughs> you know, like, so, you know, it was, it was, so I, I, I stepped away from the business leadership role because there just wasn't, weren't enough hours in the day to do both. And, and I felt like the business was better served to have me as the content creator. Oh, fascinating. Oh, this is, this is really fascinating. Now let's go back to language. Uh, let me ask you about any recent developments or sort of changes you've seen in language in like the last years? We've got, we've obviously gone through quite the ride over the last two years. Um, and it's gone, there's been all these different aspects. You know, we've had the pandemic, we've got um, a, an, a rise, I feel, of gender neutral language. We've got a rise of diversity, equity, and inclusion type um, feelings, which then are reflected in language. Is there anything that you were particularly excited about that you're like, look at and you go, it was about time this happened. Yeah. So I mean, it's not just the last couple of years. It's maybe over the last eight or 10 years, but the singular they um, mm-hmm. using the word they to refer to one person, especially, um, you know, a, a gender neutral person or binary person who wants to be referred to as they has become 
just vastly more acceptable than it was 15 years ago when I started podcasting. I predicted that it, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I predicted that it would, you know, it would be acceptable in my lifetime, but maybe it might take 20 years. And, you know, now every style guide accepts the use of the singular they. And it's just, it's been rapid and fascinating and and I I'm I'm so glad um, it, it's it, and it's funny because in the language in the language world when the language nerds that I hang out with it's so accepted and so common mm-hmm. that to me it's unremarkable at this point but then when I teach courses like I I teach um, AP style guide with Reagan communications twice a year we have um, webinars and it comes up that People will still say, well, we're not allowed to use that in my organization or, you know, my readers would never accept that. And it just it throws me every time. And so I'm reminded that we we need to keep talking about, you know, how to use it and why it works and how, you know, it's polite to use the, you know, just like I want to be referred to as girl. That's, you know, if someone wants to be referred to as they, then you respect that. Um, the, the, you know, the English language, I don't know, respect for the English language shouldn't make you a jerk. <laughs> um, so, um, oh my gosh, that's my line there. <laughs> you know, and language changes. I, I say that it changes just fast enough to be annoying. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, you know, language change, I'm sure... You know, anyone who has made it into their 60s or 70s has all sorts of peeves about, you know, when when we were young, um, mm-hmm. p- people said it this way and now kids today. But what they don't realize is that their grandparents were saying the same things about them um, and the way they spoke. The, the best example I have is today, a lot of people will say they graduated college. Mm-hmm. Um, older people will say, no, it's graduated from college. You graduated from college. But then... Much, much older people will say, no, it's you were graduated from college. So it has gone from were graduated from college to graduated from college to graduated college, um, spanning, you know, essentially three generations. Um, So Mm -hmm. if you're annoyed by graduated college, know that, you know, your parents and grandparents were annoyed by graduated from college. Now I'm wondering what people what people used to get annoyed about before me now getting annoyed un- unjustly and i don't i don't allow myself um, any space for it but mm-hmm. i keep i notice in myself this little twitch when somebody sends me an invite especially uh, when it's someone british cuz i feel like it's it's like a new thing and i'm like yes i'm thank you so much for the invitation i'll send you one back <laughs> and i make a point of using invitation even though i know that i am being annoying <laughs> another w- interesting one i talked about this in my tedx talk a few years ago so a lot of people get annoyed by the word adulting you know say oh adulting is hard you know that's common uh, you know thing for young young people to say i don't know i say it but um People don't realize that parenting was a word like that. It wasn't until the 1970s that parenting really became a, a common word and not something that annoyed people, in, a, in, a, in large part because of parenting magazine and its popularity. But before that, people complained about parenting just as much as they complained about the word adulting today. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So oh, I want adulting magazine, though. Absolutely. And so when you learn about all these things that you consider completely normal that people used to complain about, like it used to be wrong to call curtains drapes also, for example, you hear about all these things and you think, that's ridiculous. And then you Mm -hmm. realize, so what's annoying me is probably ridiculous too. (laughs) 
that's it. Like, what am I being ridiculous about? And and like, we've we've lost a less and fewer battle. If there was ever a battle, we lost that like ages ago. <laughs> and and the invite invitation thing is just like hot on the heels. And it's it's absolutely fine. It's absolutely fine. It's, I always feel like as long as we are going to understand each other's get each other's messages, language is only going to evolve to be ever simpler and make it ever easier and just cut corners. And that is the way like evolution works. Mm-hmm. I, I, and now putting on my other hat, I would also <laughs> say, um, but if you're writing, you know, a formal business letter to someone who is older, you might want to consider um, using more um, older or traditional language, especially mm-hmm. if it's a high stakes situation, like a cover letter for a job. I talk about cover letter grammar um, sometimes. That's where you want to be extra careful and not use adulting and invite and saying you gifted something to someone, for example. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like that way, like putting it that way, you're making it less about what's correct and what's not correct and making it a little bit more about the formality and just expectations in a specific type of environment. Mm-hmm. Oh, fascinating. <laughs> right. I have I have a question that's sort of a little bit sidestep, but I think I wanted to ask you about languages you're learning. And there's a question that came in from one of my listeners, which is, as a native English teacher, how do I become more confident with my own grammar? And I feel like these are connected somehow. Yeah. So I've been trying to learn Spanish for um, oh, at least a year, a little longer, maybe. Oh, muy bien. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and definitely learning a foreign language has helped, even at my level, has helped me become more familiar with grammatical structures. Because you, when you're learning a language, it seems like... You know, you're learning more about verbs and pronouns and articles and and things like that. You're thinking more about the role that a word plays in a sentence as you're learning a whole new language. But um, I have a question for you about learning languages. So I was, was, since we're here, I was using, um, I won't say the name, but one of those apps that um, rewards you for um, getting a streak, for, you know, having a streak in learning a language. And I I lost my streak two days before the one-year mark. And I was stunned by my reaction. I was so upset, so discouraged. I haven't gone back for almost two months. And I wasn't learning Spanish for the badges, but somehow that losing that streak discouraged me so much. So um, is gamification bad? Is it wrong? Should I have just buckled down with a workbook or something? Like, help me here. <laughs> oh, oh gosh, that's got that's got so many different layers. Um, I don't think gamification is bad as such. I do think that it's important to not to not confuse doing an app with learning a language. Okay. And so you kind of want to, if you're learning the language, you kind of want to diversify your input a little bit and follow, I, I talk about guiding resource and then having input resources. So you want one thing that kind of guides you through a curriculum, which could be your app. I've no idea what app you're talking about, except I can imagine very well. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, so, for example, say if you're doing Duolingo, if you were to do that, mm-hmm. then 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 you it's you know how it's got the skill tree, and that's sort of its version of a curriculum. So it does guide you through something, and that's mm-hmm. actually similar to a workbook. And then the gamification is just something that it does on top. But really, it's it's more or less like a glorified workbook. And the true 
uh, full, let's say, expression of learning a language obviously has lots of different aspects, right? So you may want to also practice speaking at the same time. You might want um, different Spanish inputs, or maybe you maybe you find something. Maybe you find like, a lot of my listeners really like finding a TV show. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you could have what's it called, Money Heist on Netflix, right? Just sort of get a little bit more input coming in, so that you get more touch points and more like relevant stuff in your life that mm-hmm. is Spanish related. And that way, when you lose the streak, you don't drop off learning Spanish because the gamification is, it gives you a really good um, motivation and external motivation. But when you look at like psychology and motivation in learning a language, it's intrinsic motivation that is kind of the, the long haul type of thing. So a lot of the work that I do with people is to try and try and access the, the long haul type of motivation. And that doesn't have to be I'm going on a trip or I'm moving to Mexico or whatever. It can be, I want to feel the reward. I want to feel myself getting better. I want to see the rewards of sticking with this. Um, and if you dig a little bit deeper into that, I know we're getting a bit journaly here, but that's, I guess, how I how I teach this. <laughs> <laughs> if you dig a bit deeper into that and you kind of make yourself a list of all the things that you're excited about with Spanish, then the gamification can still be there but it shouldn't anchor everything that you do, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And, and actually, after listening to your podcast, I, I felt motivated again. It was, uh, I think your your podcast is great um, inspiration and help to keep going, actually. People can't see people blush on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But it's, yes, it's, it's essentially, it's why my podcast is the way it is, is because I... I, I, I go out of my way to to not do like, this is the best way to do this thing. And here are seven like super tricks for doing this. I, I do want to dig a little bit deeper because I think the the reward is learning something new. The reward is is the enrichment that you get from from the achievement, mm-hmm. which I think in, in society, especially English native societies, um, it's not really seen that way like we see language we see another language as utility and we have we feel like we have to justify it somehow um and and actually when the utility comes from comes from the inside um that is it's an incredibly great language learning motivation and it's a really good um thing to hold on to as you kind of keep going plus it makes you more creative and it makes you more makes you more confident as a learner right yeah i i just love the words. Um, I remember when I learned that um, vaca, vaca was the Spanish word for cow. And then I realized that that's where the word vaccine comes from is also the same, I think, Latin root for um, cow because the vaccines were originally for, I think, a disease called cowpox. So <laughs> and it was this, this wonderful moment. I was learning Spanish and a light bulb went on above my head. <laughs> That's it. Oh, seeing the connections, like seeing the seeing the map kind of come to life. I love that. I I know in history I found no in school I found history one of the most boring subjects ever. And I come from an area of Germany where loads of Roman monuments are everywhere, so you'd never everybody bangs on about the Romans endlessly. <laughs> and it, I was so bored until I started doing Latin in school, and I was like, oh, they went down the road saying this stuff to each other, <laughs> and then you you know, it, it ties into your life. So I always feel like saying like, what does it say to you about your life? And keeping your streak going is it, it doesn't really actually say anything. Like it's, 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 it's superficial in the way, like it's, it's a decent language learning resource. You know, it's, it's doing a decent job at teaching you a language, but it doesn't, it keeps you sort of almost 
artificially on the surface and and it doesn't really go to the heart so my tip would be like try and see if you can go to the heart like that kind of excitement that's what we're here for okay thank you that helps it soapbox does. <laughs> okay i have one last question for you okay which is from l from another podcaster from the speaking tongues podcast um l interviews people who like speakers and advocates of really incredibly language incredible languages she's from new york so l was asking the oxford comma love it or leave it Ah, love it, but will defend your right not to use it. That's a hill I will die on. So I love the Oxford comma. I use it in my writing. I think it adds clarity, but it's a style choice. It is not a rule. And a lot of people were taught that it's a rule and they'll get all up in a snit. If they don't see it, they'll think it's done wrong. And, you know, AP style, Associated Press style, does not use the Oxford comma in simple sentences. And it's not wrong to leave it out. So, um, yeah, there's a lot that it's, it's an, a big area of misconception is that it's a rule. And um, it's just not. It's a style choice. But I, I prefer it. I love it. I use it myself. I think it adds clarity. So team Oxford comma with reservations. Excellent. Well, that's the perfect answer. The perfect answer. Now, what would you like if you could change something about language, about either your personal language world or about the world in general and how we use and see languages? What would be the one thing that you would want to change? Mm. Maybe if there were just subtitles everywhere. Ooh. You know, if you were, if you were walking. I don't know, like a, like a, <laughs> a an AI environment, like an augmented reality environment where if you were talking to someone, you could instantly see in subtitles, you know, in another language. That would be really fun. I would love I love Google Translate. I I traveled before and after Google Translate and it made such a difference having it available. And now imagine if it were, you know, in front of your eyes an instant and you didn't have to fiddle with your phone. I think that'd be really cool. Ooh, oh, and you were thinking of it as a foreign language. See, I was in my head thinking, how cool would it be? Because I watch television in English with subtitles. I'd even watch television in German with subtitles. Um, it helps me audio process. And I would love it if I could just walk down the road. And if somebody said something like a funny local expression or somebody has a particular accent, if I got everybody subtitled if that was just mm. like the standard of life like we're all subtitled um, there's no elitism it, there's no impl implication that someone is more comprehensible than another it's just we're all subtitled and it's all kind of captured yeah i love it oh that'd be so good oh i love this okay now i don't know whether you know this but on the show when i have a guest i sign off saying it's goodbye from me goodbye and then I ask my guests to say goodbye in any language of their choice. So you as an advocate of English, feel you're welcome to use English. You can you can try out your first Spanish public recording. Yes. <laughs> or whatever you would like to do. And I think we're going to we're going to finish here then, I think. You all listeners, I don't even I didn't even say like you can listen to Grammar Girls podcast and all that stuff, because it's just like, yeah, you probably already know. But let me just say, you can get books written by Mignon. I think she's written five. Is that right? Seven, actually. What? She's, she's written yeah. seven books. Just check your bookshelf. Uh, make sure like, make sure she's on there. And she's written Grammar Girls, Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing. That was the first one. And I read, is this true? Do you know this? That you bumped the secret off of the top spot. Oh, I 
think I, I don't, I don't rem- I actually don't remember. All I remember, you know, um, my book was on the New York Times bestseller list. And I always joke that is going in my obituary because that is so cool. <laughs> 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 I just love, like, yes, it was a New York Times bestseller. Amazing. And apparently, like, just take this with you. I don't know where I read it, but, like, you bumped the secret. Like, you manifested. Cool. Tops. Yes. How cool is that? <laughs> you go, girl. So, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> and you can listen to the Grammar Girl podcast. What's the full name of your podcast? Because it's got it's a nice grammar- good- Sure, it's Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing. Um, but if ah. you just search for Grammar Girl, you'll find it. Excellent, excellent. Someone actually thought about the title and the SEO, not like just calling it the Fluent Show and hoping somebody's going to find them. So <laughs> this is this some entrepreneurial thinking there. I love it. Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing. You can let, get the podcast anywhere you listen to, well, the Fluent Show right now. And you can also find Mignon's book. Mignon, thank you so, so much for the time and for being on The Fluent Show. It was an honor having you as a guest. And it was a lot of fun as well. And with that, it is goodbye from me. Goodbye. And it is goodbye from Mignon Fogarty. Adios. Thank you for listening to The Fluent Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please support the show by subscribing for new episodes and leaving a rating and review in your podcast app. You can visit us at fluentlanguage.co.uk anytime. Don't forget that you can send us your questions and feedback to hello at fluentlanguage.co.uk or you can find the show on Twitter and say hello over there. It's at The Fluent Show and on Instagram it's hashtag The Fluent Show. We're always happy to hear from you and we read every message and review. See you next episode!